why do you make the decision to quit riding the bike full time? Yeah, like from a lot of people's point of view, it is quite early to be packing it in. Like I think I was 22 at the time. Because that was my identity, I did find it hard for a year or so to kind of find out who I am. But I was kind of floating around in all other words, like I didn't know what I was doing. One of the, the funny moments of that is was a female YouTuber went past us. She was about five, six minutes up the road. Aaron saying, I'll blast on now and I'll catch up with her. Yeah, I think I swapped over lights and got a few of your energy food and stuff. And um, like Zippy being the other only Irish person in the race, it's like, I'll catch them in two hours. You just watch the dot back in the hotel. And I, I caught Zippy the next morning in a cafe, like 300k. And I, I didn't catch that girl like for three days. So it just goes to show when you're not on it from the start. You just have to be adaptable like to different situations and like not throwing the dummy out of the pram. Like if I was to bring my mindset from racing into that trip, it would have been a completely different experience because when you're racing, like, you know yourself, like if you get a puncture, if your chain comes off and it's a big one day, 1.1, like that's pretty much race over. Like you're out the back burning matches to get back on. But if something happens like that in a bike packing trip or say Badlands, for example, it's such a long race and stuff and everyone's riding their own race anyway to get the best time for themselves. You're not exactly racing anyone else out on the road unless you're those top 10 guys. So I was pretty much riding both of those events, like both Chamois Time Tour and Badlands, like from my own personal experience, like it's completely different to racing. It's episode 567 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Today I sit down with my Chamois Tour companion, Mr. Aaron Kearney. Let's cue that intro. Big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. Today's guest is none other than Mr. Aaron Kearney. If anyone was following my recent adventures around Spain, Aaron was my riding companion for the entirety of the trip. We set out from Dublin. We set out to do Badlands. It didn't happen. We get into that story and sort of the emotions and the sort of 60 minutes of just introspection we had on the road before me finally pulling the pin on it and then concocting this chamois time tour, the first of many chamois time tours, I'm sure. And we're recounting the adventures along the way. If anyone's not sure of Aaron's background, it's an interesting one because like so many of us, he tried to forge a career in cycling and he got to a point at continental level with Evo Pro a couple of years ago where he just had lost the love of the bike and decided to step away for it. So this recent sabbatical out to Spain was very much a awakening of a fire within him. And it's brilliant to see that the spark for adventure with Aaron is back. You're going to really enjoy this podcast. It's full of just good-natured banter all the way through. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Romance Cyclone Podcast. The star of the Chamois Time Tour, Mr. Aaron Carney. Aaron Carney, star of the recent Chamois Time Tour. Welcome to the Romance Podcast. Cheers, thanks for having me. It's been a few weeks in the making now this, but uh, we kind of said on the last day over there that you'll get me on the pod eventually to doing out a debrief for the chamois tour so yeah looking forward to discuss to be fair i didn't even want you on the podcast it was a public outcry to get you on the podcast <laughs> yeah you kind of dissed me uh with the wi-fi and stuff you reckon uh we couldn't do a podcast down here but a few fans following the chamois time tour were eager to have me on so keen to get rolling 
I had to send Aaron a coconut phone. So it was like a coconut on one end with a string attaching to me and then I can record the podcast via coconut phone. So this is very much a podcasting force reusing coconut phones. Jeez, you really are exaggerating now. It's not that bad at all down Waterford. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some issues and we're on take number four, take number five at the moment. But I want to jump in Aaron, where we left off in uh, take number four. You were talking about your fingers and you've had some issues post the trip with circulation in your fingers and a few of them are gone numb. What's going down with that? Yeah, so I just think it's a bit of a circulation issue, just merely just holding the bars so much. With the badlands, like how rough the train was and then doing a bike back and trip straight afterwards, like it's it couldn't be good. So like I'm just hoping over the next couple of weeks it starts to regain uh, a bit of power in my fingers and the numbness goes away gradually. I have uh, Seb Brewer, who is the winner in the male division in Badlands. I have him on the podcast next week. Well, I'm recording next week and come out next week or the week after. So I must yeah. ask him, does he have circulation issues after his long events? I don't think he would have circulation issues because he'd done it so fast. <laughs> and he had the try bars. Um, I actually was chatting to Hassie about this. So we were looking at it from the perspective of like having try bars for like the aero advantages and stuff. And because you're going so slow, obviously on the gravel and the short stretches of road, not much is going to be gained. But if I was to do that event again, I actually probably would mount a set just purely for a change of grip on the road. Like, so you're not on the shifters the whole time. Um, that would be a change I'd make. Well, it's one of the few things like you heard me complaining so many times about the hover bars on the Canyon Grail. This is the weird, if anyone doesn't know what a hover bar is, it's the weird design Canyon have on their Grail where it has like a dual handlebar on the front. And that just causes so, so many problems from you. You can't put a bag on the front, you can't mount lights, difficult to mount bike computers even. But one of the nice benefits of it is there's actually extra places to put your hands. That is a big thing in those type of events because... When you're in that one position for hours on end, um, it does get quite uncomfortable. So yeah, try bars would definitely be a must for a big event like that again, for sure. So and the Chamois Time Tour on Badlands isn't exactly your first introduction to cycling. I know a few people were sending me DMs going, oh, Aaron done really well to get around because they weren't too aware of your background. So I don't want to dive into, you know, exactly your whole life story, but you walked away from pro cycling. You were riding with Ireland's only pro team evo pro yeah what what's the last couple of months of that like why do you make the decision to quit riding the bike full-time and not roll the dice again to try and step up to pro conti yeah like um from a lot of people's point of view it is quite early to be packing it in like i think i was 22 at the time yeah i got given the chance by morgan who was very good to me all the years to go over to holdsworth in 2019 and i got to ride twerking high lake with them which was my first introduction to riding with pros um, from that then he kicked off the Evo Pro team and yeah, went with them for two years. Towards the end of the second year, kind of discovered that I didn't want to be a full-time pro cyclist. Um, I had more of a love for the bike over the lockdown, a bit of mountain biking and hitting a few trails going off on the paths left traveled. And yeah, that kind of kicked off with a spark for adventure. So I kind of moved away from cycling. Because that was my identity for 10 years plus, I did find it hard for a year or so to kind of find out who I am, finishing up full-time cycling. So I kind of got into a bit of hiking, a bit of gymming, but I was kind of floating around in all other words, like I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you kind of came to me then in June with the idea after the camp of doing Badlands, uh, which I knew what it was from following it back in 2019, the first edition when Lachlan Morton and stuff would erode it. So 
I was keen straight away, like, because I wanted to step back into the sport in a, in a different avenue. And uh, you gave me the option to do that. So, yeah, I was pretty grateful for that. So I think the first time I rode with you in, in the past few years, you came down to our Wicklow training camp and you were in okay shape, but it, you hadn't been riding the bike a lot. And then I think on the second night, you went out on the beer until like four in the morning and had to ride again <laughs> on the Sunday. And the wheels came off brutally that day. But from that point, which was a low enough by your standards fitness point from there to the start of Badlands, which was probably like three months. Did you go back training or how did you prepare yourself for it? Yeah. I just think from riding at a high level for so long, it's there in the leg somewhere. Like I was pretty strong from doing the gym for six months prior. Like I had a lot of strength and stuff built up, but it was just more so getting the miles in. I did a few 200 K spins uh, in the legs. Like you can't really prepare for an event like Badlands being so long. So it was just about getting some miles in the legs with the group again and back to enjoying the bike. And I know the we went out and sort of the, the Badlands adventure nearly began on our pre-ride day and we went out and a lot of people were talking about the first climb off the bat in Badlands because it was a steep, long climb. It was probably 5, 6K and into a technical descent. So for our pre-race day, we went out and rode that, came down the descent and then I was like, or my DI2 was broke. What was going through your head then? Yeah, my heart just pretty much sank then because I knew any other issue could be fixable on the road. Um, with a DI2 issue, like that the day before, that type of race, like it's not ideal at all. So like you you actually played it quite cool out on the road. <laughs> I would have been up in a bit more of a heat. But uh, we rode back down and went straight to the bike shop. Dr. Bike in Granada, shout out to them. Um, they got the bike up on the stand for you pretty much straight away. And I think they updated the firmware from what I can remember, but it was obviously a deeper issue, um, as you know yourself, with the battery. Yeah, it's still unresolved issue because, you know, we'll get into it, but it packed up again after it was fixed for, you know, I don't even know how many times because it let me down in Rift look like yeah this is the thing with the di2 because you can't see the problems you don't know what's going on you run that firmware diagnostic it comes back clean and you're like okay it's perfect but then it breaks again in like 4k so the next day i had the mechanical in basically the same place uh so we go up the first climb and we rode the first line probably harder than we should have it was a quite a select and group over the top uh, I think it was just a bit of adrenaline, wasn't it? It was seeing uh, Juan Antonio Fletcher. I just wanted to be close to him. Yeah, your eyes just lit up when uh, Juan Antonio rode up beside you. You were like, I'm in the right place right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the easiest neutral ever like to get into position. I, we were on the bumper of the car going out the road. You were like, this is class. And yeah, your gears just packed in within the first 10K and that was it, pandemonium. <laughs> I think they packed in about 3k earlier than I told you they packed in. I just, I couldn't bring myself to get the words out. I was just like, oh no. Because I just knew this was going to be totally unfixable. Yeah, there was very little we could do on the side of the road. Um, we kind of went at it for a half an hour adjusting limit screws. Um, and we could get into a gear that was rideable like for a climb and stuff. But obviously like with the train changes, like every few kilometers, like it would have been impossible really to stop for 30 seconds and got limit screws um, so you could ride each section. So I think we didn't really talk for an hour or so. I just wanted you to kind of gather your thoughts and make your own decision. I think you said after an hour and a half, then oh, I'm done. And uh, we exchanged some supplies, um, which is real heartbreaking on the side of the road because it is a multi-day event. Like It's not like a one-day race where you're going to go back to the hotel and I was going to arrive in the evening. Um, so you're very much following it for the three days, which was kind of heartbreaking in a way. But uh, 
yeah, the, the whole dynamic of the trip changed then and I had to kind of wrap my head around it then within the first year that I'm kind of on my own for this. I was even debating, like, in that period between it breaking, me knowing I'm not going to be able to fix this and I'm going to have to abandon, I was like, you know, because there was a couple of things in my head. I was like, okay, I got through Rift, which is 200K on one gear. So I was like, I could potentially do this. But then I was like, going, well, this is more than 200K. This is 780K. And I was like, there's two of us, so I'm going to be holding you back all the time. But then I was like, there's actually nearly a safety element to this as well. Because like, we don't have supplies. We're not expecting to be out here for seven days. We're expecting to be out for two to three days. So we don't have stuff for seven days. Like, And it's going to be seven days if I'm walking large stretches of this course. But then at the same time as that, I was like, I don't know if Aaron's going to continue if I pull the plug here because it's not really what either of us signed up for doing it solo. We signed up to do it as a team. So it completely changed the dynamic in an instant. Yeah, 100%. Um, I just remember arriving into Granada on the bus actually and if you remember, we were sitting in the cafe and that guy arrived, I think his name was Till, with the big bike box. And he was on his own. He was all flustered and stuff. And yeah. he was like, would you mind my bike there? And I think he just disappeared for a half an hour. And uh, like, it's very stressful arriving to an event like that on your own. So as a first ultra, like we were kind of blessed in that we had each other. But um, yeah, that changed pretty quick out on the road when shit hit the fan. <laughs> One of the, the funny moments of that is was a good looking female youtuber went past us she was about five six minutes up the road and you can imagine a five six minute handicap in a club league race where you close that gap handy enough and Aaron saying i'll blast on now and i'll catch up with her i think it took you like two days to catch up with her yeah i think i swapped over lights and got a few of your energy food and stuff and um like zippy being the other only irish person in the race and uh that girl you're on about was like i'll catch them in two hours uh, you just watched the dock back in the hotel. And I, I, I caught Zippy the next morning in a cafe, like 300k, and I, I didn't, didn't catch that girl like for three days. So it just goes to show when you're not on it from the start. But yeah. <laughs> it's amazing though how, like, I started thinking about it more since Badlands, like even on a group ride. If you stop to go for a piss on the side of the road and the group rides away from you, that's like a 30 second stop. You have to ride so hard to close that gap to catch the group off a 30 second lead. So when you start thinking about, you know, you're stopping for a sandwich in a cafe, you're sleeping for an extra hour. Like imagine the two of us are doing an event or Leo Wilcox who I had on the podcast last week. Like if you're sleeping for six hours at night or five hours at night and Leo's not stopping, like five hours is an impossible gap to close with just, you know, mano a mano on the road, boat moving. Yeah, 100%. Like the gaps just go out so quick after that first day. Um, and it's just about to keep it moving all the time. Um, just going with as little sleep as you can possibly can and keeping the stops short and sweet. Like I think there was a couple of cafe stops like where I did overstay, like ended up staying an hour taking off the shoes. But if you're really going for a good time, you need to just grab the food and go, like have it in your bar bag or what have you and be eaten on the road. Is there highlights in your mind? To, how long did the whole thing take you first before I jumped the highlights? Um, so I think my total was 77 hours in like 15 minutes or something. I wasn't actually listed on the group of finishers. I had like my own subsection. So it was like pairs who DNF, but one continued on. But yeah, it would have been, it would have slotted me in in like 40th place which was okay, like it was decent enough having not done an ultra before, um, I would have thought. And the thing is, you don't know what you don't know going into your first ultra. Like we were debating the night before, you know, should we bring a ground mat? Should we not bring a ground mat? 
like having done it now, these are easy questions to answer second time out. Yeah, for sure. Definitely was good with the term rest. You need that to get like good, clear sleep for the couple of hours. I would have definitely ran 45C tires. There was one section of the course on a climb out of Almeria where like, yeah, it was pretty loose gravel, pretty rough. And um, yeah, me and Zippy just kept passing each other at different points. And he caught me on that climb out of Almeria. And he had, I think he was running 48s on his 51 bike. And um, yeah, just pass me like a stop. Like I think guys walking. Um, so definitely go for wider tires. I think Leo around forty eight. Yeah, definitely need it just for comfort and the terrain is so varied. Like you're encountering all different type of landscapes and stuff. So yeah, forty eights are a must. And is it a blur, or do you have looking back now with a, a week or so to recollect the whole trip? Is there a highlight from the Badlands part of the trip in your mind? Uh, a couple highlights actually. Um, which I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. It's like riding into the night on that very first night uh, was pretty epic. Just turning on your head torch and you're out in the middle of the graffiti desert, picking guys off on the road, like chatting to guys, um, exchanging stories and experiences. It's pretty epic. Like, um, And then just the different landscapes. Like, So there was this, on the second night, we were like 450k in. I was on my own at this point. And it was like a 15k climb and up on the climb, you could see just like lights zigzagging. Yeah, it was just pretty surreal, like because you're deep in your own head and in your own body and you're just on your own, like you have a lot of time to think and stuff. So yeah, that was pretty epic. Would you do it again? 100% go back. Yeah, wouldn't think twice. Even though I look pretty erect, rocking into Granada with you and Sarah there for dinner that night. Um, yeah, I'd 100% do it again. Like I was fresh mentally, but... Yeah, my body was pretty fucked, broken. <laughs> yeah, like we met you in the square of Granada for dinner. You just literally rolled in. And it was like, I know, it was like a scene out of Platoon. You were, it was like grenades had been exploding around you. You were like PTSD'd or punch drunk or it, it just didn't seem like conversations were landing or you were able to respond to conversations the way you normally would. Yeah, I was pretty shook. Um, I probably didn't even realize how shook I was until I rocked into you. And you were quizzing me on the whole experience and I was struggling to get the words out. All my my lips were chapped up. My knee was dodgy. Yeah, I just had a list of things wrong with me. But um, like it was all there mentally. But yeah, I was pretty shook to the core, really. <laughs> so we went from that and you had a few days to recover. And I can't even remember how we concocted the idea for the Chamois Time Tour. We had some friends who were in be a Ritz and they'd planned on riding to Chirona and I had no solid plans to even meet them. I just knew that was happening. And I can't even remember how that idea of riding from Granada to be a Ritz and joining them came up. You were meant to start a job like two days later or something. <laughs> yeah. So I only packed initially like for a week long trip, just badlands in mind and coming home, starting into a new job or whatever. That mechanical happened you on the road 10 km like, and I knew that we'd have to make amends for that in some way. Um, I was actually getting from stepping away from the full-time cycling stuff. Like I, I still have a deep passion for cycling when I stepped away from it, but I had to find an avenue that suited my identity and stuff, which I, I struggled to for a while until the whole bikepacking thing came up. I would have came across a few vi- videos from thereabouts, the Morton brothers and stuff riding across Australia. And kind of that sparked that interest in adventure for me. So when that happened, I knew that they were starting off in Biarritz in a week's time. I was like, geez, it would be pretty epic to ride up through Spain and meet them a thousand kilometers away. So yeah, it kind of kicked off from there um, with three days rest. 
I don't know, was that enough to recover fully from the Badlands? But like it was there mentally, as I said, like I was completely refreshed and rejuvenated after that experience. Like I just wanted to go out and explore and ride the bike again. So yeah, I rang the job and they were pretty good to me. They were like, yeah, we've enjoyed following you and stuff and go off and enjoy yourself, get more experience. So blessed. From the outside looking in, uh, and I know talking to a lot of people listening to podcasts or follow on Instagram, it maybe seemed like we had this well planned out, that we had fuel and strategies planned out, we had accommodation planned out, but this was like winging a prayer stuff. Like we were waking up in the morning and kind of going, uh, it was more actually an evening dinner time conversation. Like, okay, where are we going to go tomorrow? We knew we basically needed to go completely north for a thousand kilometers. But the reality is you can't just decide to ride 150 kilometers directly north and a hotel appears after 150 kilometers. You need to kind of zigzag east, slightly east, slightly west of north. And sometimes do like, do we have a couple of days? Like one day I think was 220K to make sure we got to a hotel. Yeah, so initially from Granada, we Google mapped it. It was like 920, 930K straight to Biarritz. But um, that was bringing us like main roads, like close to Madrid and stuff. But we ended up then having to kind of add on 100 kilometers to that. So I think it was like 1,050K just to get to cities and towns that had places to stay and restaurants and stuff. So yeah, we just mapped out the kind of night before or like had a look at the Windfinder app. Uh, where are we going to ride it today? And kind of suss it out on the road. I think we did make an error in the first two days in that we kind of rocked in to the town without pre-booking accommodation. And we wasted an hour or so looking for accommodation when it was pretty full up. Yeah, we got kind of lucky the first day. You bumped into a cyclist as we rolled into town. And I was nearly, I was coming apart that day. Yeah, you had a bad day. <laughs> oh, I, was like, I hadn't ridden the bike since Badlands. And I actually got sick between finishing Badlands and starting this. It was my first day really back on the bike. And I think we'd like 10K left into the town and it turned out to be like a ten, the hardest 10K climb of the day. I, I had two packets of Haribo inside 10K or the wheels were coming off. And then just that frustration of trying to find a hotel when you've, you're that tired and that long on the bike, it's not much fun. Yeah, we were blessed to meet that cyclist on that very first evening because we were both kind of coming apart, even though it was one of the shorter days in being 130K. We were pretty fried just after starting off so late from Granada. But yeah, we got into that hotel, which was pretty decent and went straight to Domino's and uh, got a pizza and a beer, which brought us around. And yeah, we got into the flow of things from there. Uh, the next day, I think we had not booked accommodation again. And that was the one that kind of soured us on not booking accommodation because it was just going to hotel after hotel. It was like any rooms at the inn type stuff. And I was like, we, we can't do this again because... It's just, it's wasting an hour recovery. It's making the day an hour longer when you could be sitting down, you know, eating food, having a beer, chilling out, put your, you know, legs up, podcasting or whatever you wanted to do in the evening. So if someone's doing the trip, you definitely have to book those things. Not massive amounts of time in advance, but at least a day in advance. Yeah, you should definitely be going the night before just to make sure like there's accommodation so you're not getting screwed on prices and stuff as well. And just so that you can get straight to the B&B I think we made a mistake one of the nights in that I booked the accommodation in Saragossa and it was the far side of the city. So we had to go the whole way around the ring road. I think someone ended up driving up to you in the car and goes, are, are you lost guys? You've been going around in circles. I was going to kill you. Yeah. You I was fit, fit, fit to to ring your neck. So we got to Saragossa and we've been riding for 200 odd kilometers. We got there and like, I was totally switched off and we got there. Like I stopped my Wahoo. I was like, ate the rest of my food. I was like, we're done for the day. We're in Zaragoza, we're rolling in. 
And then it's like hotels, another, what, 15K outside town. But we weren't even making progress. We were cycling around industrial estates, just lost. Um, I was losing my mind. Yeah, we had to get a McDonald's even before we got to the hotel. We were so fried. And uh, yeah, in the last hour, so your, temp, your temper is going. Like, I think there was a few kids crying in McDonald's and it was really driving us bananas. So we ended up just hitting the road again and going straight to the hotel. I'm fascinated with the thread that links top performers, those who succeed from those who don't. The single biggest indicator as to whether a roadman coaching client hits their goals or not, it's whether they use a power meter. As a coach, it gives me access to a world of data. Coaching without a power meter, it's like going out sailing without a compass. The brand I've used for a decade and the one I recommend to clients every day of the week is Stages. And I'm super happy to now have Stages as a show sponsor. It's water resistant, plus or minus 1.5% accuracy, 200 hours battery life off a single coin cell battery and handmade in Boulder, Colorado. I'm trusting Stages. I have for over a decade and the best in the world have trusted it, including five Tour de France victories and counting. If you head over to stagescycling.com and use code ROADMAN at checkout, that's going to get you 20% off full price parameters and factory install service. That's stagescycling.com and use the code ROADMAN at checkout. I want to take a second to talk about a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, I actually wanted to see what all the hype was about. I've been taking AG1 for about 12 weeks now and I take it every morning before my coffee without fail. I even brought the handy little sachets with me on my latest adventure around Spain. Yep, that epic adventure I'm just home from, almost 2,000 kilometers. Usually after a big block like that in Spain, I get sick, I get cold sores, I get mouth ulcers, I get nasty saddle sores and I have stomach issues due to the high sugar diet on the bike. I get extreme fatigue, but also, and frustratingly, I get restless sleep. But this time, I've recovered so well from my trip, and I really believe it's down to my use of AG1. AG1 supports better sleep quality and recovery, it supports mental clarity and alertness, and it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. AG1 has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it's recommended by professional athletes throughout all sports. So what is this stuff? Okay, with one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water in the morning. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to optimize your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
you know what was really cool? And if I was planning it properly again, because uh, it's difficult to say you should plan it out too rigidly because it takes the fun and the spontaneity out of it. And we stayed in some really cool places just because it was spontaneous. But we've stayed in that sort of yurt commune place in the town Tafala. And that was amazing. That was the best place we stayed 100%, in. 100%, yeah. And then we had one last big day kind of into Biarritz. And that last day into Biarritz, we actually probably rode unnecessarily hard. Actually, when I look back at some of that trip, I'm like, why were we riding so hard at times? Like that day into Biarritz, we were attacking the shit out of each other like we were in a race, even though we had full bike packing kit and we're accelerating like the speed of, you know, a locomotive. But we still tried to tear shreds out of each other. Yeah, for like big chunks of that trip, like in fact, we were chopping off for 10 minute turns just with the headphones in to cut down on our time on the bikes. But yeah, that last day we tore absolute shite out of each other for no reason at all. Like, I think you attacked me with 10k to go and I had the sandals on the back <laughs> and they came clean clean, clean <laughs> off, like rubbing off my tires. But I'd say if I had a power meter on, I would have definitely set like my one minute best power ever. I think I came around you, it was like a one minute climb. I came around you with like 200 meters to the top and uh yeah epic <laughs> you were proper insulted as well you're like you had a look at disappointment on your face you said to me you must think i'm weak as piss you attacked me up a 1k climb into a block headwind and thought you could just ride me clean off your wheel yeah i did actually think you thought as weak as piss on the trip um after after that time i think on the block headwind day where it was, the day was only 130k, but we ended up having a block headwind from the start. It was the day we started off with no water for the first hour and a half, and things were pretty bleak from the outset. And I think 70k in, we were both starving. We were hanging on the side of the road. And I had two emergency gels left over from Badlands, peanut butter flavor, whatever. But they were emergency gels for a reason. They were absolutely stinking. And I think you pulled in to go for a piss. <laughs> behind a tree and I ended up rooting around the bar bag I was like if I don't get a gel into me right now I'm going to be fried I'm going to come apart on the road so I was trying to take it in secret so I kind of looked away when you were going and you came out and you caught me taking I was like he thinks I'm weak as piss he thinks I'm going to come apart on the road <laughs> yeah now you, you earned your stripes you got a you got my stamp of approval as the trip went on because it was some hard days yeah there were some really hard days especially after nights where we went there for a couple of years, like it took us a while to get going the following day. And just big days in general, those 220k days are a killer on the body. Well, I less, I one day less on the beard than you did. You just, there was one day we hit a town and for whatever reason, you just started sinking beer after beer after beer. And I have a video on my phone, which I must publish on Instagram because it's hilarious. It's after dark and you have to walk the last climb. You're so drunk, pushing your bike back to the hotel. <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy because it was actually the, the day we were earliest into a town. So we got lunch like real early. I was like, this is perfect now. Like can get the legs up this evening because half seven like was our time pretty much every evening. No matter what we encountered throughout the day, like we were getting into all our accommodation at half seven. That was just the time. But that day we were in early and I was like, oh, we're going to get back now. But yeah, we ended up just going mad, me and Kenneth on the beers. We got to, got to this really funky place that had like tapas and some good music and just chilled out there for the whole evening. Yeah, I was absolutely scuttered walking up the hill back to the accommodation at the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
because uh, it's not it's not a nice feeling. You actually dealt well with it the next day, but the night we went out and we had some beers and beer ritz and like we went to the nightclub and I don't think I got back till like nearly 8 a.m. And then the next morning we were riding at like 10 a.m. And it was again, probably, I don't know, 170 to 200 K type distance again, probably. Yeah. And it was a miserable, miserable day for me on the bike. I don't got to talk to anyone for the first like at least two hours people were asking me questions and i was like just don't talk to me no you sat on the back like you absolutely scrubbed that they did nothing you were like you were in fact sprinting for town signs which was pissing everyone off <laughs> so like with 200 <laughs> meters to go like to a town name you take off from the back without <laughs> after pulling the turn and everyone was just losing their temper towards the end of the rider like this fellow's not after doing that all day but yeah you were pretty pretty low that day <laughs> even sprinting for the town signs like that was you know obviously more a joke than that but i was like i was getting such a bad headache for sprinting from the town signs i thought i was going to pass out from the combination of the hangover and the exertion it wasn't good at all yeah definitely want to advise big nights on the beer uh when bike backing <laughs> well, it, it is kind of half the fun of it that you can do that because you can't get away with that at a stage race like i've had one or two i remember coming back uh, when i was riding for a stellis oncology american team and i came back to ride the ross and you know when you're riding the ross as an irish rider it's the biggest race of the season but when you're full-time it's just really another stage race so i kind of fell into the oh it's just another stage race bandwagon and on night seven, uh, with one stage to go, I had a bunch of beers, and my God, I'd done some suffering the next day because it's not like bike packing. You can't stop for you know baguettes after twenty k if you're not feeling well. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's a different mentality and stuff when you're racing. Um, the bike packing like is more of an expedition mindset. Like you're on a trip, like you're out exploring new experiences, and yeah, you can have a few beers. Like it's not going to kill you the next day too much. But yeah, when you're racing, like you can't have none of that. Like it's a strict regime of like race and straight back to recovery yeah it's just a totally different experience what do you reckon the ideal number of people is for the bikepacking trip because we started in granada to Biarritz, the first thousand or 1100k with just me and you and then we met up with a group of another four so then we'd six what's the sort of sweet spot you reckon um i reckon four or five guys at a similar level um even for the likes of badlands if you were to go back to it again you'd want two people at a very similar level in order to get round so you're not like waiting on the other person when you have a group of all mixed abilities um it can get frustrating at times for those people who have good fitness and also for those people uh, who are not going so well so yeah just four or five people at a similar level yeah and i think you can definitely take variations of that if someone's plus or minus 10 percent uh, you know, because in reality, me and you aren't super well matched because, you know, I'm over 80 kilograms and you're like closer to 60 kilograms than you are 80 kilograms. So it's like you're, I'm always going to get it a lot harder on climbs. You're always going to get it a lot harder on flatter, cross windy type sections. But you can still ride together for 99% of the stuff. It only becomes a problem, you know, at the at the edges. You know, if I'm riding full gas on a crosswind section or you're riding full gas on a climb, so I think you can kind of definitely tolerate some differences in ability, but if there's a huge gulf, it makes it harder, I think. Yeah, I think it's like that plus or minus 10 or 15%. Like, as you said, you can like knock it back a small bit on climbs and on like flats if people aren't strong. Uh, but more so than anything, it's people that are easygoing, outgoing and like open to experience new things. Like, I don't think there was anyone dry or who kicked off in that group um with the big difference in levels or anything everyone was pretty pretty sweet and dead on to get on yeah. with like you just want a group that's going to gel together and have a bit of banter out on the road 
even for the time we were together, like with the Badlands experience and the 11 days of bikepacking, we never had like any way of an argument. Like it was always banter and stuff. Like we always had our bad times and stuff out on the road, but we never like took out and of it. Like it was always made light of. I think that's actually more important than the fitness level is the just, I don't know what I want to call it easy goingness, but that sort of, you know, you're going to have difficult moments and you need sort of a, a easy going demeanor. If it's someone that's really rigid or really stuck in their ways, you know, not to say you shouldn't do bikepacking, but maybe a solo bikepacking trip is more appropriate than a group because you're going to have things go wrong all the time. And if you're someone that gets easily wound up, you know, my DI2 broke for the, I don't know, 92nd time as we were coming in on the last day from Banyols to Girona. And that could have been another frustration where you're just losing your mind going like, oh my God, how many times is this DI2 going to screw us over? Yeah. But no one really cared too much. Yeah, you just have to be adaptable like to different situations and like not throwing the dummy out of the pram. Um, like if I was to bring my mindset from racing over on the content into that trip, it would have been a completely different experience because when you're racing, like, you know yourself, like if you get a puncture, if your chain comes off and it's a big one day, 1.1, like that's pretty much race over. Like you're out the back burning matches to get back on. But if something happens like that in a bike packing trip or say Badlands, for example, it's such a long race and stuff and everyone's riding their own race anyway to get the best time for themselves. You're not exactly racing anyone else out on the road unless you're those top 10 guys. So I was pretty much riding both of those events, like both Chamois Time Tour and Badlands, like from my own personal experience, like it's completely different to racing. So there was one day where your, your, your sandals must have fallen into your back wheel about 11 times inside now, probably four times inside an hour on the day, the Andorra day, the first half of that one, when we were going, before we got to lunch, we were riding hard in a tailwind section after splitting from some of the group. And it was just four of us, just every few kilometers, I look back and your bag and sandals are rubbing on your back wheel. And it's like, all right, just, we need to just keep this moving. Nobody lose their temper, but I could see you were getting more and more annoyed each time it happened. Yeah, just more from the group's perspective. I knew you were probably getting a bit pissed off with me. Um, but it's better to have sandals than no sandals. You lost your sandals within the first 10K and you're going around in your shoes for the whole trip. I don't know why you didn't pick up sandals, but... <laughs> yeah, and my, I'm still suffering from that. Like my toes are still numb from... Because you're wearing the bike shoes for eight hours cycling a day and then you come home in the evening, get a quick shower and you're back into the bike shoes. And they're not designed for wearing them that much. My toes are ruined. Same issue as you have your fingers. Yeah, it's not good. Like cycling shoes are such a tight fit. You need sandals or like a pair of Birkenstocks to like be airing out your feet in the evenings. Like. And it was a cool feeling rolling from because we'd effectively finished, we'd planned to finish in Girona, but we'd effectively finished by the time we got to Banyols where we had a nice coffee by the lake in Banyols, one of my favorite coffee stops up there. Uh, real cruisy spin down the lanes into Girona. It's a nice little almost ceremonial finish to finish back in Girona because it's almost the home of cycling these days. And actually put out a podcast last week about the ultimate Sharona guide where I was talking about, you know, the cool cafes, cool bars. But I got so many messages from uh, people that lived in Sharona going, oh, come on, seriously, you're driving up our rents. Now all my cool coffee shops are going to be full. Now you're telling everyone the cool restaurants to go. I'm never going to get a table again. But when we got to Sharona, it was like a parody of itself because Sea Otter was on that weekend. So it seemed like everybody in the cycling world had just congregated on Sharona. Yeah, it was mental riding into Drone, actually. Um, really nice ride down that back road from Banyolas into town. Um, and I think we rolled into town, and in a matter of 15 or 20 minutes, we were after seeing Finney at the coffee shop, Zippy, 
Imogen around the corner, the accommodation, like literally everyone's out. Like it's such a small town. You see yet all the cyclists there. So um, what's next? Chamois time, 2023, gravel racing or back into retirement? No, the bug is back for the bike. Definitely go Chamois time tour 2023 um, and see what kind of a gravel events we can get next year for sure. If the fitness is good next summer, I would also like to do the Ross and stuff. I probably won't do a full season racing, but if I can do it a few big ones, um, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, that's kind of my plan to dip into a couple of big races, but then to just scatter it with adventures because I just can't bring myself to go back to races that have raced 10 times, 11 times in the past. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way inclined. Like for the winter now, my focus is kind of turned to hiking because uh, I have an expedition coming up in February over in Argentina uh, to do Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain outside of Asia. So I'm kind of mixing the cycling with the hiking for the next couple of months. But when I get back from that, yeah, all guns for bike packing and some gravel racing next year because yeah it's it's unreal it's epic badlands next year migration gravel race in kenya next year rift next year what's on the cards oh anything i'll throw my name in the hat for anything they're all just epic adventures like if i can get the time off the stoke is definitely there to compete and i'm like they're just great group of people like yeah people from all walks of life turning up to these events and the vibe is just great um so yeah definitely be there next year that's crack Aaron, thanks for joining me Cheers, Santa. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.